And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a great week. Uh, Yeah, a lot to get to. A lot to get to, as always, today. Um, I am going to be joined in in just a couple minutes by my friend Baylor Cook. It's always good talking to Baylor. Um, He was at uh, CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, last week, so he's going to give us the breakdown of uh, all the goings-on there at CPAC since your boy, your humble host, was not able to make it this year. Um, So that'll be fun, and we have a lot to get to aside from that as well, and I'll try to get to as much as I possibly can. Um, Before we get to Baylor, um, guys, follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Tweet at us. We always tweet back. Uh, Love the feedback we've been getting on Twitter. Keep it coming. Um, And also, if you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be back in just a second with Baylor Cook. All right, guys, we're here with my friend Baylor Cook. Baylor, thanks so much for taking the time, my brother. Thanks for having me, my friend. Always a pleasure. We'll always come on and, you know, got a busy day, but I was like, I can set aside 30 minutes to an hour and we can get this thing done. I like it. I love it and I'm ready to roll. Hell yeah, anytime. Anytime, my friend. So you were at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, last week. Um, I wasn't able yep. to make it this year. I, I, I heard it was a lot of fun. I've seen uh, from all my friends yeah. that were there that everybody uh, gave, gave themselves a nice uh, liver workout. So that, that seems like a lot of fun. I'm, I'm <laughs> sad that I missed it. But So uh, give us some highlights, man. What was, uh, what was some of the cool stuff going on at CPAC this year? Yeah, definitely. We definitely missed having you there. I was looking around. I was like, okay, where is Brady? This is going to be an awesome time. We're all going to get together, all going to meet each other. But alas, that is still yet to happen. I'll just I get to keep looking forward to that. So that's good. But uh, but yes, so some highlights at CPAC. I mean, can we just address the obvious here? And that is the fact that if you were at CPAC and you got up and listened to the president's speech, which everyone in attendance should have, and everyone in attendance probably did, I hope, we got to hear the longest speech that the president of the United <laughs> States has given during his tenure as president of the United States. And like, I, I could have listened to him go for another hour, honestly. Like, everyone was like, it was longer than a feature film. Like, you should have been tired. You should have been ready for him to be done. No, like, I absolutely loved it. And like, I am somebody that will, you know, I'll. I'll congratulate President Trump when he does good, and I'll also say, hey, we need to work on this one. I believe he does wrong, but, like, I loved this speech. It was just absolutely incredible. Yeah, I, I, I will say I didn't watch the whole thing. I probably caught the first hour or so, and then I had to tap out because I had yeah. other things to do. But uh, these kind of speeches really are where Trump is at his best. You know, like, te- teleprompter oh, yeah. Trump is, is okay. You know, uh, like the State of the Union was was a pretty good speech, stuff like that, when he stays on prompter and stuff. But where he really thrives is this. I mean, I'm sure he had something on the teleprompter, but you couldn't really tell because he was just riffing, just going from topic to topic. Well, Whatever came to his head, he just blurted it out. And like, yeah, it was over two hours long. It was an absolute marathon yeah. of a speech, but he was funny. It's like sometimes we forget how funny this guy is. 
mean, he truly is a very yeah. funny guy, and he knows how to work a crowd. He knows how to crack jokes. He knows how to poke fun at the other side. And uh, I think this is where Trump is at his best. Well, did you hear him? He actually he, – he started giving the teleprompter speech, right? And so he was rolling through it like he normally would, and he was like, you know, we have to work on X, Y, and Z. And you could tell he was reading from a teleprompter because it really wasn't textbook Trump. And then all of a sudden he looks out at the crowd and he goes, I'm not Donald Trump if uh, – I'm not Donald Trump if I don't go off script, am I? And everyone started <laughs> losing it. And then boom, at that point – the, you know, his PR team was back there going, oh, no, what's coming next? But it was amazing. I don't think I could have asked for a better speech. He kept going on. And, like, so I've never heard President Trump speak live. I never had the luxury of hearing that or the opportunity to hear that. And so to hear him speak live, you understand fully why he won the presidency. Because from the front, the very front of the room to the very back of the room, you felt like he was talking to you and you directly. It felt like you were sitting with a friend, kind of like what we're doing now, just rifting back and forth, maybe having a drink or two, just hanging out. It felt real. It felt genuine. And that's something you usually don't get in robotic political candidates that, you know, come out and go, we need to work on health care. We need to work on immigration. X, Y, Z. Good night. You know what I'm saying? It, 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 he felt genuine. And that's something that's so rare in this political sphere. Yeah, Trump definitely has the, uh, you know, the old adage, one of the most important uh, things in a general election, presidential election, is who would you, what candidate would you rather have a beer with? Um, I know Trump doesn't <laughs> drink beer, but, uh, you know, it's a, who would you rather have a Diet Coke with or whatever the heck he drinks? But um, And obviously he had that over Hillary Clinton, because uh, Trump does seem yeah. like a, you know, it's, it's strange because he's a, 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 it is strange because he's a billionaire. But he does have that yeah. down-to-earth kind of everyman kind of persona. And not just does he have that over Hillary Clinton in 2016. I don't think there's a, a Democratic candidate running who can pass the who would you yeah. rather have a beer with test. I mean, Cory Booker, you know, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders. I mean, no, none of these people seems more relatable or more down-to-earth. You know, somebody that you want to kick it with and have a beer more than President Trump. I think he's going to have that advantage over the, whoever the Democrats uh, nominate this time around. See, and I, I agree with you and I disagree with you. So hold on here because everyone's saying the oh, Baylor's not supporting the president. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying if we're just talking from the facet of who would you want to have a beer with, and I am 22 for everybody out there listening that says he looks like he's 16. I know I look like I'm 16, but I'm 22. So if I'm going to have a beer with one candidate, it's definitely going to be Donald Trump, but a close second is Howard Schultz, for sure. I mean, just the, listening to Howard Schultz talk, I kind of it feels almost like a uh, – on the in a genuine scale, it feels like a mini Trump. Like it doesn't feel as genuine as when President Trump speaks, but you definitely see he's not a politician. And I think this is what we're seeing. The American people want more and more. And you know, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse at this point because it's been said so much since before 2016 all the way to now. We are tired of this political correctness BS. And it's nice to have a candidate that's going to come in and just speak from the heart, be genuine, and not go on the teleprompter PC culture, but that's actually going to speak to what American, to what the American people think and feel. And I mean, I think with Donald Trump, you see that, and to a smaller extent, I think with Howard Schultz, you start to see that as well. And that's why I think he's one of the strongest independent candidates we've had in a long time. Right. I still don't think he'll. Uh, 
a lot of people are worried on both sides of the aisle that Howard Schultz, and for those of you that forgot, we did talk about it, but uh, most people have already forgotten that Howard Schultz exists at, at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, he, he's the former CEO of Starbucks, a billionaire who's running as a as a quote-unquote centrist uh, independent. You know, he's not really a centrist. He's like wildly anti-gun and he's, you know, he's all for like oh, yeah. raising taxes on everybody and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, centrism oh, yeah. isn't what it isn't what it used to be. <laughs> but uh, a lot of people are concerned <laughs> that, you know, he could be like a, a Ross Perot style spoiler. I don't really see that. I don't I don't see him getting above five percent if he doesn't drop out, which I'm sure uh, he, he probably would if he's not pulling high enough to get at least on stage and in, into debates or something like that. You know, speaking of what you said about uh, Trump, the the likability factor, looking at the yeah. aside from Howard Schultz, because I agree, he does seem like you know, a, a good guy, somebody that you could have a conversation with. Do the Democrats have anybody like that? Like, do they have a I'd want to have a beer with that person kind of candidate? I'm uh, I'm not maybe Tulsi Gabbard, maybe. I mean, she seems kind of like a cool well, Hawaiian chick. You know, she's kind of got that yeah. going for her. But I, I don't really see, you know, a, a lot of relatable Democrats right now. Maybe it's because, you know, well, we see, both li- you, you live in Alabama. I live in Ohio. We are middle Americans. Right. You know, so. We don't relate to coastal elites as, as much as some folks do, maybe. But, uh, yeah, what, what, what do you think? So, uh, again, with Howard Schultz, I do want to say, like, I disagree with pretty much every single one of his policies, and I think you hit the nail right on the head. He's not a centrist at all, although he's claiming to be a centrist. However, I think just having a beer just because he can be genuine when, you know, unfortunately, like, money makes people not genuine, and he has so much money that by all metrics, he probably shouldn't be genuine, just like Donald Trump probably shouldn't be genuine, but they both are uh, genuine. I think Trump more than Schultz, but still, I think it's a really interesting dichotomy. That being said, I don't agree with nearly any of the policy proposals Howard Schultz has, but if we're talking about the Democrats, and if I would have a beer with any of the Democrats because of that, you know, genuine feel. I'm going to go with yes, just because I'd want to hear what they say. You know, and I'm going to say I don't want to have one beer. I want to have 12 because I want to just have 12 beers with Bernie Sanders. And he already sounds like a loon now. So I'm saying, you know, just let him have 12 beers and let him just start rambling and rolling and getting wild. I want to hear what he spews out when, you know, the prompter is off, when the filter is off, because I can't imagine what Soviet garbage comes out of his mouth when he's had a few too many. Uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say you're, you're probably hit the nail right on the head there. If there's anything more ridiculous than a 9,000... 000- year old communist it would be a uh, drunk nine thousand year old communist i think that would be pretty entertaining but i you know i don't think either one of us have a very good chance of getting a beer with any of these people I, hell i've i've invited half of them uh, i've emailed their teams and invited half of them onto the uh, podcast and i haven't heard back from any of them so they won't even come on the show i don't think they'll uh, go to a bar with me <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I doubt they will. Uh, I doubt they will. Honestly, I'm gonna be honest. I'm sorry, my internet lapsed, so I think I lost you for a second there. Oh no, you uh, can you hear me now? I definitely can't. Sorry about that. That's my fault. I'm, uh, I'm again. I'm still in college, so I'm in a dorm. About to graduate in May. Thank goodness, but still dealing with that dorm Wi-Fi. So everybody out there, uh, please pray that we get some better Wi-Fi. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm not even going to edit this out. So everybody go uh, send uh, Baylor uh, hate mail for the technical difficulties. And anyway, (laughs) (laughs) getting back to CPAC, I saw you posted on Twitter that you got a chance to speak with uh, one of my favorite senators, uh, Texas Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, How's old Ted? Uh, Ted is great. Ted is absolutely great. It was actually really unique story. So um, we were actually me 
and my buddy Kyle Morris were down there. We went down to the conference together. Kyle's a writer for Breitbart, and so uh, he's an, also an Alabama guy. And so we flew down there together. We stayed together, and you know we were with together. We were together for a lot of the conference. So we had just gotten done with dinner, and we knew that Turning Point USA was actually throwing a party, um, a little get together at the um, at the little restaurant down the street. So we walked down there, and um, we. Uh, Kyle's not somebody that's uh, super confrontational, and neither am I, but, you know, I'll ask the question. I don't care. The worst people can say is no, and so we didn't have a ticket, so I just walked right up to the bouncer, and I was like, you know, can we get in? And he was like, do you have a ticket? And I was like, well, funny story. Uh, no, we don't. And he was like, well, then no, you can't get in. And I was like, okay, all right. And uh, so we walked out, and we're standing outside, and we were about to start walking back to the uh, Airbnb. And um, we saw one of the heads of uh, Turning Point, one of the big spokesmen for Turning Point that uh, Kyle knows very well. And so we were standing outside talking to him. And then he says, yeah, I can get you in. Just give me one second. And so he turns and, you know, types something on his phone. And then all of a sudden he goes, all right, get ready. And then all of a sudden you see Ted Cruz start walking down with a bodyguard on each side. And so Ted Cruz walks in and he goes, follow him. And so we literally walked into the party with a United States senator, which I mean, there's like that was the coolest feeling in the world, walking in behind security with a U.S. senator. So we walked in and walked up to the front of the stage with uh, Senator Cruz and, uh, you know, got to got to meet him before he uh, before he went up and uh, or I'm sorry, after he went up and spoke. We, we met him afterwards. But it was just it was phenomenal. It was such a cool experience. But I think old Ted's doing pretty good. Um, and, uh, he gave a great uh, speech. He got the crowd going and everybody cheering. And, um, he's just, a, again, that was something that I was shocked at is when you see these politicians on TV, especially somebody like Cruz, who's been a presidential candidate, you know, all of his responses seemed very scripted during the debate. So my question always is, is how genuine are these people going to be? And when you get to know the people, you know, they're real people. Like when you see somebody like Dan Crenshaw, you can tell he. He's a real person. He, he's been through some very difficult circumstances, but he's just a real genuine guy. But with somebody like Cruz, you don't know if you're going to get the politician or if you're going to get the person or if they're one in the same. And I think they are one in the same. And I think he leans more towards the, you know, just the person as opposed to the uh, political robot that a lot of the politicians are. And I think that's, again, why he was able to pull out a victory in Texas over Beto O'Rourke. Right. And, you know, maybe people like Ted Cruz and others in the GOP have kind of learned that lesson from President Trump. Because, um, yeah, like you said, in the 2016 campaign, Ted Cruz was very plastic. He was very scripted. Uh, if he was 2019 Ted Cruz, he might be president right now. You know, he grew a beard, yeah. makes him look way less creepy with, with some facial hair. So that that's an improvement. And, he, you know, he's All in right. a lot of I'm gonna, I'm recent... Gonna ask... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, I want to ask I want to cut in, right? I, and I definitely want to get back. I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, I no, did, but it. it's because I got a question, I promise. So what do you think about the beard? Are we really saying we're on board with it, or are we saying, all right, Senator Cruz, it's time to shave? No, everyone should grow a beard. Every man should grow a beard. <laughs> I mean, grow, grow a beard, be somebody. I forget who you know? I'm talking to. I yeah, forget I mean, who I'm gr- talking to. You're biased I, over here with the beard. I, I am. I'm a little bit biased about the beard. I mean, just, look, go, go through history, man. You think Marcus Aurelius didn't have a beard? Come on. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You were saying. I mean, you think the Apostle Peter didn't have a beard? He had a big-ass beard, and you'd know it. <laughs> I don't know. Look, I, well, I, very few great men throughout history were just clean-shaven. I, I don't know. I just don't buy you, you know, I tend to trust people with beards more than, uh, more than non-beards. 
Yeah, and when President Trump gave Ted Cruz the nickname Lion Ted, I guess he was like, all right, I got to get my trust back. How do I do it? I'm going to grow a beard. Easiest way to earn trust back to the American people, apparently. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, he's a great guy. Absolutely amazing guy. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, so let's move on to some issues going on right now within uh, our friends over in the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party really isn't trying to hide their anti-Semitism anymore, and it's been a problem for a long time. And, I mean, there's there's anti-Semitic problems in this country on both sides of the aisle, obviously. Uh, but the Democrats yeah. really aren't hiding the ball anymore. Um, you may remember that Ilhan Omar, the freshman senator from Minnesota's 5th District, um, has already made several anti-Semitic comments, was forced to apologize for these comments twice in her first three weeks in Congress, which is pretty yeah. amazing. I mean, she's really trying to go for some kind of world record or something like that. Uh, but she did it again a couple days ago, I believe on Monday, um, saying that Jews in America have dual loyalty to Israel, which is why they... Uh, presumably support Israel. Uh, a comment like that is straight out of the Adolf Hitler playbook, by the way. So this is a uh, wow. I mean, strike three, I guess, or four. I don't know how many strike this strikes this is against uh, Ilhan Omar. But yeah, what do make? What do you make of these comments and then her previous comments and the fact that the Democratic Party refuses to condemn any of them? In in a short way to phrase it, disgusting. I, I mean, it's absolutely disgusting. It's repulsive and it's un. American. So whenever we would have these discussions, right, I would usually differentiate and I would say, you know, the leftists like Ilhan Omar are more radical, but the Democratic Party is not, you know, on the same footing. The Democrats are just somebody that I disagree with policy wise on specific issues, whereas leftists are the radicals. We when we get to a point like we're at now where we are saying that the Democratic Party does not have enough support to come out and publicly condemn Ilhan Omar like they were planning on doing today, but then they stopped the vote vote because they realized they wouldn't have the amount of votes. I mean, it's just disgusting. What point have we reached in politics where we're not able to say, hey, anti-Semitism is wrong. So I, I'm starting to see, and again, this is just showing you what the modern American left is doing. They're all progressing to the point, and I, I think Ben Shapiro phrases this beautifully. He's like, they're trying to outflank each other for who can go further left, and in doing so, in going to the far extremes of the left, we are losing all common American values that we all used to hold regardless of political affiliation. So the fact that we're not able to come out, Republicans are. Don't get me wrong. Republicans, conservatives, people on the right, they are and they're doing it except for obviously the radicals, which we mentioned earlier. But conservatives are doing it. But the Democrats can't come out and condemn anti-Semitism. And it's just disgusting. Yeah, let me let me jump back to a point you touched on briefly. Um, Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic House leadership did plan a symbolic vote um, for today in the House to condemn anti-semitism and they weren't even going to name ilhan omar by name which they which they should they should have obviously i mean that's clearly who they're talking about um but the vote was canceled because like you said the democrats didn't have enough votes in their own caucus to condemn anti-semitism that is the current state of the democratic party in 2019 they can't get a majority vote in their own caucus to say that jew hating is bad i mean really that that's where we are with the democrats right now it's just it's it's patently unbelievable. And I mean, I think that you said it in a very blunt way, and that's how it needs to be said. The modern Democrat Democratic Party does not have enough votes to say that hating people because they are Jewish is wrong, and we will not accept that from any of our representatives. They don't have enough votes to simply say that. 
Like, where are we? Have we entered the twilight zone? And why on earth can we not have rational thinking people on, in the Democratic Party as representatives saying, hey, you know, we may disagree on policy, but we're not going to hate you because of a because of your religion or ethnicity or factors A, B, C, D, E. You know, we're not going to hate you. We may disagree with you on policy, and that's what makes Democrats Democrats and Republicans Republicans. But we can't even condemn hating people for things that are either a religious ideology or things that they cannot change. It's just disgusting, and I'm wondering how we got here. And let me be clear. Nancy Pelosi is not an anti-Semite. Chuck Schumer is not an anti-Semite. Chuck Schumer is, is a is a Jew, by the way. I mean, he's clearly not anti-Semitic. And to yeah. his credit, he has been a supporter of Israel. But if you want to know why, to everybody listening, if you want to know why the Democrats are afraid to call out the anti-Semites in their own caucus, just read the comments. Anytime a member of Congress, or a Democratic member of comments, will call out anti-Semites like Ilhan Omar or Rashida Tlaib or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, read the comments from Democrats. Yep. Anti-Semitism is is a huge problem amongst the electorate, the Democratic electorate. There is a lot of Jew haters out there that vote for Democrats, a lot of people that do not want Israel to exist. And they make it very clear. Just read the comment. There has been a handful of you know Jewish Democrats, Jewish Democratic members of Congress that have called these people out, and they get absolutely hammered. They get ratioed on Twitter by all the anti-Semites in their caucus. Um, Just going through a little bit of Ilhan Omar's background, too. When she was a, a state representative in Minnesota, yeah. she urged judges in Minnesota to take it easy on ISIS members, right? I mean, she, she asked for leniency from federal judges in regards to ISIS yep. members. When she was a state representative in Minnesota, she voted against a bill banning female genital mutilation. Okay, this is who this woman is. She is a radical Islamist. I mean, she is a, a radical Islamist. She is a Jew hater. Full stop. That's who this woman is. And see, I, I do want to push back. You said, you know, these people have come out and condemned uh, Ilhan Omar and they have said, you know, her rhetoric is wrong. But I do want to say something about the Democratic Party as a whole. One of my favorite quotes that I've ever heard, and, you know, there's there's some claims as to who it's attributed to, but I'll just stick with the quote. One of my favorite quotes I've ever heard is, those who are silent when they should speak make cowards out of men. And then Martin Luther King said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And that that is exactly what we are seeing now. If you are in the Democratic Party and you are not strong-willed and have a big enough backbone to come out and say, hey, and not even a big enough backbone, but just to be a decent human being and to come out and say, hey, hating somebody because of something they can't change or because of a religious ideology is patently wrong. If you're not able to say that, you are a coward and do not deserve and do a and do disgrace to the office that you hold. I have no problem saying that because it's the truth. You are a coward if you're not able to do that. And if you're not one to come and call them out, and I do appreciate those who have come and called them out, but if you are not wanting to come and call them out because of the reaction that you think you're going to receive in doing so, then, like I said, you're not fit for office, and you are a absolute coward, and it's just disgusting. Amen. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. A couple more points before we move on from Ilhan Omar and the whole topic yeah. of anti-Semitism. A lot of what she's been saying, the, the old trope about, you know, 
Israel buys off politicians or the, the Jews control the money so they control politics. You said a lot of these comments. You know, saying Americans only support Israel because Jews buy, buy off politicians or APAC buys off politicians or something. Here's the list of the top seven countries in terms of uh, foreign lobbying money coming into the United States. I mean, Israel does lobby. Israel does lobby the United States. But here's the top seven countries in terms of dollars that uh, that lobby the United States government. South Korea, Bermuda, Japan, United Arab Emirates, Israel, Saudi Arabia, Qatar. Yep. There's there's Ilhan Omar is a Muslim. In my opinion, she's a radical Muslim. There's three Muslim countries on this list, including uh, UAE, who uh, contributes about two million dollars a year more in foreign lobbying than Israel. There's three Muslim countries on this list. There's two Asian countries on this list, and there's a South American country on this list. Why yeah. do you think that this woman only targets Israel? It's a I mean, very... It's kind it, of a rhetorical question, but... <laughs> but yeah. yeah, that's what... That's, you know, I don't even know how to go about answering that, because... Uh, in in a you have you have a very good point, and I also think it's important to point out, you know, because whenever we see what's happening with Ilhan Omar, the reactionary measure that people usually come out and say is they say something along the lines of, you know, they start talking about Islam. I want to make perfectly clear, as a Christian in the United States, I'm saying this: Ilhan Omar does not represent Islam. Ilhan Omar represents radicalism. She represents radical Islam. She represents the worst of Islam. That's like when we say that radical Christians do not represent Christianity. Radical Muslims do not represent Islam. And so whenever I'm afraid of the reaction that's going to come from the continued uh, just disgustingness that is Ilhan Omar's rhetoric. I don't want people to start latching on and saying bad things about Islam because this is not Islam. In my opinion, this is the radical of Islam. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I partially agree, I suppose. We don't need to dig into that right now. I'd, that's a wormhole we could go down for hours. But um, uh, uh, the, the, Democrats, the Democrats defending people like Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar always point to Steve King, the Republican congressman from Iowa. Um, and Steve King did make some racist comments. And after he made racist yeah. comments, he was stripped by Kevin McCarthy, uh, the House Minority Leader, of all his committee assignments. And Republicans are now supporting uh, Steve King's primary challenger for 2020. And uh, and uh, Kevin McCarthy and the House leadership are not uh, giving any money or, or aid to Steve King's uh, reelection campaign. Ilhan Omar and- is on the Foreign Affairs Committee, which is probably the most powerful committee in the House, and will not be removed. Yep. Nancy Pelosi said she will not be removed. She's facing zero punishment at all. Which, one, what Ilhan Omar said is about, I don't know, I, I'm no mathematician, about a trillion times worse than what Steve King said. Both both comments are evil, but she's said way worse things, and she's said them way more frequently. Um, and Steve King, at least, seemed more genuine when he apologized. I don't really buy it. I think Steve King is a racist. But uh, he at least seemed a little bit contrite, I guess, in his apology. Omar obviously did not. And he was stripped of all his committee assignments. He's not being supported by the GOP in his reelection campaign. Omar is still sitting on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Of all the committees she could be on, Foreign Affairs. I don't really think she knows anything about foreign policy, but, you know, who cares, I guess. Uh, And she's not being removed. She's facing zero punishment at all. That, the whataboutism, the, the trying to compare Steve King to Ilhan Omar, that, that dog does not hunt with me, brother. 
Like that's just that is not well, a valid argument. Well, see, no, no, no. I understand what you're saying, but here's my thing: when they say it, when the Democrats say it, I'm going to say, okay, perfectly valid. And you want to know why? Because I'm going to say, I agree. They're both hateful. They're both bigots, and they both deserve to be out of office. But if you're going to say that Ilhan Omar is exactly like Steve King, do what the it, when the Republicans handled Steve King, they did it the right way. Do what the Republicans did when they handled Steve King: strip her of all her assignments and challenge her in the primaries. But they will not. You want to know why? Because again, in the words of Shapiro, I'm a big Shapiro fan. She's a fresh face, and you know she is one of these new young. Dem- Democrats. And it's like, at what point are you going to put aside partisan politics and say, look, this lady is spewing some disgusting, evil, bigoted, inhumane rhetoric. And when they're willing to do so, that's when I think we can enter a point of where we can have discussions with the other side and potentially come to some bipartisan compromise. You know, the thing this country was founded on is this ability to disagree and speak on the disagreements. But we can't speak on the disagreements when you have members that you are refusing to condemn that are coming out and are making just vile comments. Republicans have done it with Steve King. Democrats, it's your turn to do it with Ilhan Omar. It's just the way it has to work. I totally agree. And another point on on Omar, uh, Ilhan Omar, along with Nancy Pelosi and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others are on the cover of Rolling Stone this month. So that's a yeah, that's that's the punishment she's facing for her for blatant open bigotry. It, it really is yeah. amazing stuff. You know, just a side note. Um, I don't know why, and I guess both parties do this from time to time, but especially the Democrats. Why are people so obsessed with the whole, like, fresh face concept? Like, why do we want 30-year-olds in Congress? I, I think I think uh, Ilhan Omar is about 40, but, uh, or, you know, mid-30s to early 40s, something like that. I really don't know how old she is. But, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is, I think, 28 years old. Why is youth valued in politics? It really shouldn't be. I mean, I, I'm 30 years old right now. I I don't yeah. trust myself to write the law. I do not trust myself <laughs> to write laws. You know what I mean? And I'm sure when I'm 35, I'll look back at 30-year-old Brady and be like, wow, what a dumbass. When I'm 40, I'll look back at 35-year-old Brady and be like, wow, that was embarrassing. I mean, I look at podcasts I did a year ago, and I'm like, oof. I totally changed my mind on that. That's embarrassing. Hope nobody listens to that one. <laughs> you know? So it's like, yeah. why is youth so valued in our politics? Like, I don't know, man. Like, I, I get it. Like, I, I've made this point outside of not I'm not speaking about elective uh, elected officials either. You know, you look to people in like the conservative movement and people will try to prop up people like, you know, Charlie Kirk or whatever from Turning Point USA, who's like 25 or whatever, as like a a thought leader for conservatives. And that's obviously ridiculous because nobody's a thought leader for anybody at age 25. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like a thought leader in the conservative movement would be like William F. Buckley and and Charles Krauthammer and, you know, like people like that. And they're all old. Well, both both those gentlemen, bad examples, they've both passed away. But I'm sure you get my point. Like, why is youth valued in our political discourse so much? Like, Kids are idiots. Like we're yeah. people in their twenties are dumb. I'm thirty and I'm an idiot. Like nobody should listen to me. You know what I'm saying? Like why? Why do we value youth and being a fresh face? How about we should value knowing what you're talking about? That's <laughs> how yeah. about wisdom? Like wisdom seems like something yeah. we should value, not just being young. Well, you see, and and there's a fundamental way that you disagree with the Democrats. And before I get into that, I 
do want to say, you know, I, I agree that, you know, wisdom is something we should strive for. But I do want to say, I think Charlie Kirk and Turning Point USA are doing some absolutely phenomenal things. And I think he is being a good voice for those who don't have a voice and really doing a lot to promote the conservative message. Um, with that being said, I do want to kind of touch on why I think this youthfulness is attractive to the Democratic Party. And that is just for one reason and one reason only. And that is because they want votes. So if you put somebody like Bernie Sanders versus somebody like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in a modern sphere on social media, who's going to garner more attention? Who's going to garner more headlines? And in turn, who's going to garner more votes? And 10 times out of 10, it's going to be Ocasio-Cortez. But like you alluded to, my favorite thing in the world, because I literally have to pick myself up off the the floor from laughing is when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez starts telling people that they're inexperienced and because they're inexperienced that they need to be quiet. And I'm sitting there going, you were a bartender, what, six months ago? You, you know, you, you are the <laughs> definition of inexperience. But nevertheless, you feel in this moral pedestal because, you know, she's the boss and we can get into all that later. I hope oh, we oh get into all that. Oh. I want a chance to air out some grievances there. But, you know, she's the boss, but she's the boss with no experience whatsoever, yet she feels this moral superiority enough to come out and say, you know, you're inexperienced. Well, guess what? You were a bartender six months ago. I'm not really concerned with what you have to say. I don't really think that you have a whole lot to say. I just think, honestly, there's a lot of hot air in her head and not a whole lot of policy. And don't get me wrong. That's not me talking about Democrats as a whole. I think there are some good Democrats politicians that just simply disagree with me on a few key principles. And that's fine. I love having those discussions. I have a bunch of friends that are Democrats. We have great discussions. We get along fine. But I do not think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is anything more than a talking point and a way for the Democratic Party to gain votes because she's ignorant as all get out. And she proves that time and time and time again. I totally agree. And uh, I know you have a heart out here just in a few minutes. So uh, b before I let you go, let's it, since you brought it up, let's jump into because I haven't talked about it yet on the show. Let's talk about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's comments saying that she's the boss. And in, in context, what she was saying, uh, uh, somebody questioned her about the Green New Deal, which is obviously the most ridiculous, asinine document I've ever read in my entire life. I mean, f complete with typos and, <laughs> and like, yeah. grammatical errors and stuff like that. Literally, like it was written by a drunk four-year-old. But uh, she's saying, well, I, you know, I, this, it's a bold plan. It's a bold plan. Unless you can come up with a bold plan, I'm the boss. Which I don't know why being one 535th of Congress makes you the boss of anything. One, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, two, you're yeah. a public servant. You're not supposed to be the boss. You're, you're a glorified post office worker. And three, that's not how it works. You can't just say, well, I, I wrote this ridiculous bullshit that doesn't make any sense. Therefore, I'm the boss because you didn't come up with any ridiculous bullshit that doesn't make any sense. I mean, like, I'm sure you and I right now could come up with, like, uh, I mean, sure, let's write a bill that says I get to go fishing every day. Like, I would love that. Yeah. That sounds great to me. And the government yeah. should pay me for it. Sure. Yeah, but that doesn't work either. So, okay, am I the boss because I just proposed that? Your well, thoughts. that's that's what I, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was about to say here. Uh, that's what I was about to say here, Brady. Is you're about to have some uh, a landmark happen on your show that's never happened to before. I'm about to become the national boss on your show because here's my thing. Here's how we deal with climate change. Are you ready? You're everybody in America is required to take an apple and put it in the tailpipe of their car 
And then that way no emissions come out. And then on top of that, we're going to take all the airplanes and we're going to put them at the bottom of the ocean. And that's fine. That's where we're going to leave them. They can't listen. Emissions can't rise out of water. So we're just going to leave them there. And then on top of that, we're just going to do away with all the farting cows. We're going to feed them to the unicorns and it's going to be great. And so guess what? Unless you can come up with a better plan, I'm the boss because you want to know why? Because I came up with a bold plan of shoving apples in tailpipes and putting airplanes at the bottom of the sea so they can't emit emissions and then killing the farting cows and feeding them to the unicorns. I am the boss now. This is the same logic that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has, and it's just pure, unadulterated ignorance. And the fact that she was elected to be a representative of the government is just laughable. I want to know who elected her and what they were smoking seriously and then on top of that on top of that just the fact that she in a governmental system that it's staple that its main point is by the people for the people she comes out and says she's the boss of the people now how does that make any sense whatsoever she's literally a member of the people's house <laughs> right it's the yep. opposite of being the boss wait so uh I, under your plan, do I still get to go fishing every day, or how does that? Uh, do you I do get, get to go. This or, okay. You well, I mean, you do get to go fishing, and again, I'm the boss, so I can tell you whether or not you get to go fishing. You do get to go fishing, but only on Tuesdays at two thirty. If you're sitting on top of the airplanes that we have since put to the bottom of the ocean, so they can't emit emissions. So I feel the, like these airplanes point, can... all over the bottom of every body of water is really going to put a hamper on my fishing plans, but. Well, I don't I mean, like it. Could, I don't like it. But you are the boss. What am I supposed to do? One, that's what I was about to say, Brady. I am the boss. You can't disagree with it. I'm right. You can't disagree with me. Don't listen to anybody. I'm the thought police and the boss. Two, new coral reefs for fishing. Boom. It's a green new deal. It's a big green new deal. But since we have planes at the bottom of the ocean starting these new coral reefs and no longer emitting emissions, I'm going to call it the bottom of the barrel New Deal, because that's what we get with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. We're scraping the bottom of the barrel with intelligence. Sadly, I believe your plan is probably 100 times more intelligent than the actual Green New Deal. So that's where we're at in 2019. Congratulations, whatever dumbass is elected AOC in Queens, New York, or wherever heck the district is. All right, right, Taylor, I know you got to take off here in a sec. Where can everybody uh, find you online and keep in touch and all that good stuff? So if you want to keep up with my lunacy, keep up with me going on and babbling like an idiot from for now until eternity, you can find me on social media. Just type in Baylor Cook. I'm the first name that pops up. Or if you're a big username person, that's cool too. At J underscore Baylor Cook. Come hang out with me. I'd love it. Brady, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Like I will do this anytime you want because honestly, your podcast is my favorite podcast to come on. Favorite media appearance of the week. And I'm on my own television show. So it's always great to come and hang out with you. Hey, you heard it here first. The boss just said this is the greatest podcast on earth. So if you, if you don't subscribe, then uh, the boss. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure you're going straight to jail if you don't immediately subscribe to the show. But that's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. Um, 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 um.